the first episode we're talking about is the alliance it's the fourth yes. episode of the first season it opens up the episode with dwight's asking michael about downsizing Mm-hmm. Do they mention downsizing in the first three episodes? It was mentioned maybe the first episode because Jan, okay. doesn't she come in and talk to Michael about it? Yeah, and he's like, he's trying to hold the secret. And and so Dwight's obviously very concerned. He wants protection. Protect me, Michael. Yeah, and he's, he does the thing where he's like, as assistant regional manager, I'm protected, right? <laughs> assistant to the regional manager. <laughs> Am I protected, Michael? Mm-mm, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, I love Michael's delivery. <laughs> if this was in like season six or seven, I think Michael would just flat out lie. He's like not fully committed to the lie. Yeah, he's not he's not in full denial quite yet. It yeah. is a little out of character. So then Dwight, lovely, innocent Dwight, he's upset about the water cooler talk. Oh yeah, Paul. Hmm? What's what's the scuttlebutt? Oh yeah, I love that. <laughs> what's the scuttlebutt? Yeah, he brings his own water to work. So yeah. he's, he's disadvantaged. I remember a lesson... I don't know. I remember going over it in one class. I forget if it was a chapter. You know what? I think there was a chapter in one of the courses, maybe in business management, that was like the grapevine or something, and it was about how office gossip. Does that sound familiar to you at all? Uh, Like super vaguely. Yeah, It might not have even been a chapter. Maybe it was like a part of one chapter. Uh-huh. But I remember going over it and like, and you know, it was just most office information is passed through the grapevine rather than through uh, official means of communication. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Yeah. So Dwight, being keenly aware of this, wants in but doesn't use the water cooler, so he moves it over to his desk, to which his co-workers are a little suspicious. Rightfully so. And his his response is that it required maintenance. Yeah, I I love that. (laughs) I, it's it's kind of funny with Dwight's character of being kind of oblivious mm-hmm. and taking the term water cooler talk much too literally. Yeah, it defeats the purpose of putting it like right in the middle of the office if you're going to get any good gossip out of it. Yeah. Actually, it's kind of funny. Where I work, I'm right next to our uh, our break room down the hall, so I get to hear all that, which I don't want to be. I don't want to hear any of that. Anything juicy? <sighs> I don't think it's juicy. <laughs> Some people might think there's a lot of juice. Have you ever heard something that you thought like, Ooh, that's something interesting that I shouldn't have heard. Uh, for sure. Yeah. Or it's like it like they're trying to be subtle about it, and it's like it's obvious for me, and it's like uh, I kind of wish I didn't hear that because it's mm. just weird. Yeah, luckily I have bad hearing too, so it's kind of nice. I can I can block some of it out. Mm, but. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I I don't have any similar situation. It's um, kind of weird. But yeah, I'm like I'm right in the center of it because I'm I'm kind of across the break room where I can hear everything in there. And then I'm down the hall from the CEO's office, so I can I get to go, like hear what's going on down there too, which is much more juicy. It's a blessing and a curse. Okay, so then we're in Michael's office, and he's talking to Pam, and he's trying to raise morale, so he wants her to find out about birthdays. Mm-hmm. And so there's no birthdays coming up, but he wants her to find the next closest one. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's just so a, great. It's a cool month away or something. Yeah. And this is also a little different from his character in later seasons. I bet that season five, Michael, has every single person's birthday memorized. Oh, yeah. Dude, he's a master of birthday information. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, their favorite colors, their favorite (laughs) kinds of cake. What kind of streamers they like. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I was just going to say, the scene probably got your your juices flowing a little bit because he he mentioned Star Trek. Yeah, he does a Star Trek reference. I know you're dork. Big time. Does that do anything for you? Would you recognize... I think that's like in pop culture, right? Like the life scanner. Sort well, of thing. I mean, it seemed like something 
familiar. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize it was from Star Trek, but I did. Whenever I did it, I imagined something from like some dorky space sci-fi show. Mm-hmm. Now, like probably just since like a, a week ago, it makes me think of the Black Mirror episode, McAllister. Ooh, yeah. Have you seen it? Yeah, I have. Okay. That's we'll talk about one. it another time. But yeah, that's what it makes me think of. Yeah, I can see it. Well, yeah, that episode, I'm sure you're aware, is intentionally supposed to be spoofing Star Trek. Like oh, yeah. Everything is done just like in Star Trek, yeah. Yeah, I caught that. Okay, I'm going to actually get it. Now you've got me on this episode of Black Mirror. <laughs> Go ahead. But it irritated me so much. The first half, whatever, it's good. And then the second half, they found a way to get a phone call out. And instead of calling the cyber police that they mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. they call the chick and like blackmail her with nudes. And then she turns into this amazing black widow cat burglar to break into this penthouse and this apartment <laughs> complex. It's, yeah, it seems <laughs> like, way too complicated. <laughs> why like, didn't you just why, call the police? Why are you making it so unnecessarily complicated? Like, first of all, I just I don't believe that he would have like some major hole in his his programming in the first place. Yeah. But then, then he does, and then they kind of squander the first attempt. And then, to me, he should be tipped off by it. Yeah. Because of that weird interaction between him and uh, I forget the the girl's name. Anyways, yeah, that was that was annoying. Did you get that off your chest, or do you want to talk about it more? No, that's off my chest. I'm ready to go back to the office. <laughs> oh, okay. Dwight's talking about identity theft. Uh, I do not remember that. That must have been a deleted scene. But yeah. Dwight briefly mentions identity theft, which I thought is funny. Considering, you know, in the later season, when he's like, identity theft is not a joke, Jim. Millions of people suffer every year. So this is a deleted scene, and he's, like, just throwing a bunch of stuff out of the fridge. And then it cuts to Jim looking in the fridge for his sandwich, and it's not there. And he's like, Dwight, did you throw out my sandwich? Dwight's like, it was rotting. And he's like, well, it's not rotting because I made it this morning. And so it's building, like, the tension of Jim's dislike for Dwight. Well, you probably should have seen that, because then it gives Jim a little bit more incentive to be a dick to him with the, uh, the alliance. Yeah, it totally makes Jim seem less like a douchebag. I think the next thing in my notes I have for just the regular version is the the party planning committee. After Michael decides that, okay, we're going to throw Meredith a surprise birthday party a month early. So there's one more part before that where Oscar's asking Angela for a donation. And this it's there's nothing special. It's just, I think, you know, it's just like more in-depth Oscar's uh, donation that he's trying to collect. And then we go, yeah, to the party planning committee. PPC. PPC. Which well, I told you I'm the head of at my work. Which is super unfortunate. What responsibilities come with that? The responsibility of managing the party fund. So, all right, originally what I was told is that the fund was going to be passed off to me and I'm mm-hmm. an accountant. So I was like, okay, cool. I'll be a steward of the fund. Essentially, mm-hmm. I'll collect the money, receipt it, manage it, etc. But then it comes about, it's not only do I do that, but I, I plan all of the parties. So it's like, I'm in, I'm in charge of everything. And coincidentally when i got it we had a record number of retirements like three people retired in the next four months nice yeah i know it was terrible and so yeah I oh, dude, that's out. great lots of lots of uh options for advancement uh, yeah sure although i guess that's not how it works in government right because you have like specific you, you work for the state right uh it's complicated where it's like an independent government agency because we get funding from federal state local sources what's your job title accounting manager when i've applied to jobs the jobs i've looked at for government is there's like accounting one through 15 mm-hmm. have you you're familiar with this yeah it, I mean, it depends on the size of the organization but we have we have accounting specialists one two and three and then each each one two and three has five steps and then from there yeah, it goes to accounting right. manager and then from there it goes to cfo 
Yeah. So I think, and I mean, I could be wrong, but I think like in government, you have a more linear advancement progression. Whereas it, when you're working private industry, if like the GM retires, pretty much anybody can try to go for that. Mm-hmm. What was it like for you? Are those are these people retiring positions that you could potentially apply for? Yeah, for sure. Like, there's no real restriction. I mean, I, I can apply for whatever. It's nothing. None of them would, would be things I'm interested in because uh, two of them were maintenance people, and then another one was uh, we call it the community liaison. Essentially, they deal with our their tenants and and uh, they kind of police the units based on our regulations, like an informal kind of policing, I suppose. So neither of of those. Those titles really interested me. But yeah, if I wanted to, like we've had situations where uh, like a maintenance supervisor position opened up and like a caseworker applied for it, which is, it's really unorthodox and it it usually doesn't pan out. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the options there. What about your party planning? You were in the middle of that before I interrupted you. Oh, just, just that I got it thrown on to me and it's, I feel like it's my punishment for, for watching (laughs) so much office (laughs) for my great sins that have been bestowed. How did the parties work is... This like a government fund, or does everyone no? Throw in a box we, and then... No, that, it makes it complicated because we can't do it through government funding. So we have to sense. do it like on the side, and it's really tricky. You don't want to look like you're in a position where you're a manager and you're asking people for money, right? And so there's actually a, a precedent for for a CEO of a housing authority where he did automatic payroll deductions for people. He made it a requirement, and then he used this fund to like pay for uh, like golfing retreats and uh, and shit like that. And he actually got sentenced and went to prison. So it's something you gotta be real careful of. But yeah, anyways, it's informal, so it's just like it's essentially coworkers getting together and and starting this pool of money that we can use for for parties. And then mm-hmm. depending on how much we have, we'll do like you know we'll rent out a space and and have dinner, or I'll have something catered in and. We use the money to pay for it to like decorate the conference room and and uh and, it, and our office is like pretty similar size to what they have in the office so like imagine their conference room it's 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 like really similar to how we do it what about uh do you do birthdays at all yeah yeah we do birthdays nice. it's kind of funny like this episode really reminded me of my workplace because um, <laughs> we do birthdays like way in advance too like we bash them together once or twice a month um okay. it seems like it, it kind of depends on what we have going on so sometimes we'll just do one you know birthday party uh for the month for everyone in that month and sometimes we'll break it into two if we just need something to i don't know boost employee morale so i've never had birthday stuff at work the the closest is that if you want your birthday celebrated you like bring in a couple dozen you know donuts or brownies or something oh you have to do it yourself yeah damn yeah, we have all the managers rotate and do the parties where they bring in like treats um and then we pass around a birthday card for every everybody signs it yeah, I've had birthday cards passed around before. Okay, when you sign, when you're writing on a birthday card mm-hmm. for a coworker who you're friendly with, but isn't like one of your friends outside of work, what do you sign? Do you sign sincerely? If it's somebody like I'm cool with, I'll usually sign party on. That's my thing. Sometimes I'll do Valardo Harris. It's a little unorthodox. I like it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I like to add a little bit of flavor, but not too much flavor, because hey, we're professionals here. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, my token response is just, you know, happy birthday. Hope your day is great, or, or something like that. But yeah, to to my office buddies, it's always party on. I don't know, like between sincerely or love or whatever. I always just omit it entirely Ooh. and just put Paul. Yeah, love is. A, I don't know about that one, man. Yeah. Well, they. That's what the reason I say it is because they do it in this episode. Oh yeah, yeah. Which strikes me as insane. I can't even imagine writing that on a card to a coworker. Yeah, I used to agonize over it when I first get birthday cards. I'm like, ah, oh, what should I put on this? How much should I think about it? And then I eventually you just get so many, you just kind of 
you start getting into a rhythm. Back to the uh, the PPC meeting, Angela kind of has her coming out party as the office bitch. <laughs> Andrea. <laughs> and I love in this also, Michael says, let's get ice cream cake. And Pam mm-hmm. says, Meredith's lactose intolerant. And Michael like just could not care less. He's like, no, we're getting ice cream cake. Right, which highlights how selfish he is. And I think this is a nice parallel in the end of season seven at in the Goodbye Michael episode where he's leaving and they're doing his going away party and Pam's like, what kind of ice cream should we get? And Michael's like, what would you like, Pam? Mm-hmm. And it shows like a kind of maturing of his character. Oh yeah, no doubt. But in this episode, he's completely unconcerned with what anyone else wants. No. Oh, I mean, he's celebrating someone's birthday a month early. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a and then weird. getting the, the ice cream cake that they can't eat. Oh yeah, there's a lot going on in this episode actually. So, yeah, there was in the, the party planning committee meeting, there was a, a little bit of friction between Angela and Phyllis. She kind of gets beat down a little bit. And, and you don't care because you hate Phyllis. Yeah, I don't like Phyllis. Which is fine. At this point, I still feel bad for her. Yeah, I'd, she hasn't been established as a bitch yet. Yeah, she's just getting beat down. Okay, so now Dwight is asking Jim to form an alliance, to which Jim replies, absolutely I do. Absolutely I do. Which is also, in I think season three, right, Pam says something like, Jim has taught me, and whenever Dwight asks you to do something, you reply, absolutely I do. Yes. And so Dwight and Jim are now part of an alliance whose mission is unclear. It's basically to not get downsized as their objective. Uh, yeah, apparently. Um, in Dwight's, Dwight's world... Uh, and for some reason, he decides to pick Jim, which doesn't seem to be the most strategic choice, unless he's just trying to get close to his enemy. Yeah, that is kind of funny now that I think about it, because Dwight doesn't really trust Jim. thinks he's no. you know, a dubious character. Gotta keep your enemies close, though, Paul. Dwight has definitely read The Sun Tzu Art of War. He's probably got yes. all the strategies. <laughs> That's true. We cut to Michael, who is discussing Meredith's birthday card and what to write on it. And Michael clearly has very high expectations for himself about being funny which is kind of interesting because nobody thinks he's funny but he has like this he's like demanding of himself that he's this really funny character so he's trying to come up with something (laughs) hilarious to write in her card yeah he he holds the bar really high for himself in his head yeah i think he's funny for the record poor guy yeah he's not a good audience for his humor yeah he's like he's trying to toss around some ideas meredith has bad breath etc and then Jim's spying on Kevin and Toby for the Alliance next. So this is part of the Alliance um, activities. As a bit of uh, espionage, Jim's talking to t- Kevin and Toby. And then it kind of cuts back and forth to him relaying the information, the falsified information to Dwight. Mm-hmm. And then you see him actually talking to Kevin and Toby about Kevin's sandwich. Their bread is very good. I love this exchange between Dwight and Jim where Jim says, you're not going to believe it. And Dwight's like, what? I believe it before Jim's even hinted at what it is. Mm-hmm. Jim convinces Dwight that everyone in the office is forming an alliance against them to get them downsized. And I think Jim plays really well to Dwight's, plays really well into getting Dwight to believe it because Dwight's like, why us? And Jim's like, because we're strong, Dwight. Oh yeah, he feeds it. He feeds Dwight. Oscar comes in and he's asking Michael for a pledge to the charity his his nephew, I think, is running. Yeah, it's like uh, cerebral palsy or something like that the walkathon yeah cerebral palsy walkathon oh poor michael oscar kind of annoyed me with this pushiness we we kind of just talked about collecting funds in the office do people come in do people in your office go around asking for stuff like this or like for their daughter's school trip or i don't know whatever yeah 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 when i first started they did 
you know, for a while I was like, man, people are coming in every week. This is going to be a problem. I need to figure out how I'm going to approach this because it's awkward to say no, but I don't want to shell out like 20 bucks a week for all these different things. And I don't know, they just, they stopped. So I don't know if somebody said something or what, but yeah, it was just like every week, buy these cookies for my kid's field trip, just like random shit. Is that how it is at your office? Uh, It's pretty rare. My policy is always say no. That's a good one. That's like, honestly, that's what I was coming to. Because even if it's something that you might donate or buy or something, like if it's Girl Scout cookies, which I might actually want, it's just Mm -hmm. always say no because I don't want to exert the mental effort of even considering if it's something that I want. It's just like a good mental shortcut. Just always no. I like having those. And then you don't also, there's no one worrying about, I mean, I'm not that concerned with office drama, but you don't have somebody saying like, oh, well, he, you know, bought something for me. It's like, oh, he didn't mm-hmm. buy anything for my kid's trip or something. Although I, I'm, I'm not overly concerned with that. but still, It's still annoying, though. And if you can avoid it, it's, it's better to avoid it than not. I would say most of the people who I am interested in trying to impress are not the types of people who are also... <laughs> concerned with that you know, information. <laughs> or yeah, and also bringing, trying to sell me their kids' cookies or whatever. Yeah, without a doubt. It's like, you don't see the CEO going around, hey, yeah. support, my, <laughs> support my kid's field trip, please. So Michael doesn't read the thing. He doesn't realize it's per mile. He pledges $25, which is funny because he's this is like his big act of charity. He's going to pledge $25, and he's kind of acting like hi-ho about it. Yeah, because he sees the other... Like 2 or $3, because $25 mm-hmm. isn't even that much. Because later we find out Jim expects his donation to be $50. Yeah. So Michael, his intended donation is lower than everyone else's. <laughs> yeah, and he, yeah, he's trying to be braggadocious about it with yeah. his philanthropy. Well, you know, he's a full-on r- rapist. No, dude, that's Charlie. That's, oh, that's yeah. always sunny. I love that line. He's yeah. a full-on rapist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah, that was uh, during his flop sweat date. Yeah, his pretty good date. date. That was great. I'd say he hit it out of the park. Me too. So now Toby's signing a card and Michael sees it. This is in Michael's office. Toby is signing something about red hair. And Michael's like, no, you can't. You can't. Red hair is my territory. You can't sign for red hair. That was my joke that I was going to use. I didn't see that. Yeah. And Toby's just like, well, uh, what, what, what do you want me to do? And Michael's like, erase it. And he's like, I can't erase it. It's pen. And he's like, go get white out. That's mine. You can't say that. It doesn't speak very highly of Michael's character. It's another, just another instance of like, God, this guy's annoying. And how much time is he spending on this, on this issue of the birthday card? Definitely more than he is on anything resembling work. Yeah, I, I feel like this is his priority for the day. Eight hour workday, at least six hours is going towards this birthday card. I'm not exactly sure what the point of this is, but Jim is trying to get Dwight to say the word immunity as like a fun little game he's playing with himself. That's got to be a deleted scene. And it makes sense that the scene was deleted because it doesn't really do anything for me. It doesn't make sense. Jim's just trying to get Dwight to say immunity. And then Pam does the thing where she's talking to Jim about meetings with Michael. Dwight's like overhearing Pam fakely confide in Jim. And then Dwight is called into Michael's office. Michael's asking Dwight about an inside joke that he could use for Meredith. So Michael is asking Meredith. He goes over to Meredith's desk kind of coyly. And he's asking to if she has any inside jokes between them. And she's like, have we had any funny moments recently? Like funny inside joke moments? Meredith is really perplexed. She doesn't like understand why he's talking to her asking this. She's like, no. He's like, okay, well, let me know if you think of anything. He's really 
really still slaving over what he's going to write in this birthday card. Agonizing over it. Jim tells Dwight that there's going to be an alliance meeting in the warehouse. Dwight has a really nice line. So first he says he's going deer hunting with his dad all the time. Do they mention his dad later ever in the series? Yes. Yeah, he was mentioned later uh, when they're talking about cheating and board games. It's a random little scene. I don't know if you remember it. Well, he just he talks about, I don't know why he was talking about board games, about how his dad uh, always wanted board games and he didn't find out until years later that he was cheating and it was this really random scene I can't remember the connection but he was mentioned oh and he was also mentioned how he has like a family of warriors and how his dad fought obesity it's a different kind of war I do remember that yeah some, yeah I remember that vaguely yeah so he went deer hunting with his dad all the time and then he has a great line where he's like one thing about me I need to be better at hiding than deer are at vision he's hiding in the warehouse and jim's helping him hide and they're poking holes in the cardboard box so that dwight can breathe and he's sitting in this cardboard box down there which is a good hiding spot dwight's very good at camouflage but he does miss out on meredith's surprise party because he's in the warehouse in the box now we go to the surprise party one of the earliest scenes in the surprise party is Michael says to Meredith, here, have some ice cream cake. And she's like, I can't, I can't eat dairy. Again, it just highlights how contemptible Michael is. He can't even be bothered to remember from a few hours earlier that Meredith can't eat ice cream cake. And he goes on to say it's it's like so good. Like he'd kill himself if he couldn't eat it or some, something like that. Super insensitive. He's so unlikable in this first season. Pam is pretending to make an alliance call next to the box that Dwight's next to. He's like cutting out holes. I guess to, to hear better. Oh, I was thinking to see. Like he was trying to look. Oh, out. sure. He's so good at camouflage, and then he somehow flips himself over in the box, and Pam runs away. Pam can't take it. She has to get out of there. It's, it's too funny. Well, the thing is, Dwight is such a special guy. It doesn't seem like he has this moment of realization where he goes, oh, I flipped the box over. Obviously, the whole thing's blown. She knows that I was there. It doesn't expressly say it, but it kind of plays out through the episode. Like, he didn't register that as like an admission that he was spying on her it's like he goes on like he was completely unnoticed like it was a successful espionage pulled it off so jim and michael are talking and it comes up how much michael donated to oscar michael's trying to welch to oscar and he's asked how many miles is it oscar's nephew is that what it is i i want to say it's his nephew oscar's nephew walked 18 miles last year at $25 a mile, right? That's $450, which is a lot of money for a guy like Michael. Yeah, who needs his money for, for magic supplies and whatnot. And for like a core master extreme. All the necessities. And Oscar's not having it. He's just, he's telling him how it's cheap to undonate to a charity, which I, I would just completely take my money out if he's going to be pushy like that. Yeah, I don't like how Oscar's handling this. Yeah, he's kind of a little bitch in this episode, I thought. This is like so tangential. But I really hate when people try to guilt me into donating to charity. That's the quickest way you'll get me to not donate to anything. Any kind of decision, if you try and guilt me into something, it just doesn't work. I hate like when you go to Safeway or whatever. We don't have Safeway here, but when you go to Stop and Shop and you're checking out and they're like, would you like to make a $2 donation to breast cancer awareness? Like, I really hate that because that like $2 doesn't matter. It's like something they're selling. They're selling like this feel good for five minutes. And you'd be like, oh, I'm making a difference as you walk out to your car, even though you didn't actually donate anything that matters. Yeah, and I'm sure it's I'm sure it's effective. I think it gets a lot of people, but it's just not my style. Like, it, I'm not saying I'm against donating in general, but if I were to donate to something, like I'd want to think about it. I'm not just going to throw money at you. I make donations to charity, but I never donate to that kind of stuff. I like look at charities at the end of the year that I 
align with values that I have and I make one big donation at the end of the year. To Afghanistanis with AIDS? Maybe not to that exact one. But yeah, instead of doing this $2 that doesn't actually matter, but you know, I get to feel like I'm a good person and like I made a difference it's as I walk out to my car. I really don't like that. Me either. Give you a little hit of uh, dopamine slash guilt. And if you don't do it, you feel bad. Well, I don't let myself feel bad, but I think that's what they're trying to do is make you feel bad. Yeah, exactly. Especially in front of people, too. It's like you get a little bit of uh, public shaming. It's yeah, like you, you have, have like to... the person behind you in line looking at you say no. Totally a goddamn business move for Safeway or Stop and Shop or whatever, because they're probably taking like 10% of the donation fund, you know, as I'm an sure. intermediary. Yeah, because they, they have to administer, you know, the funds or whatever. So they, they probably get to take their cut. Are we going back to the office now? Are you ready? <laughs> or do you want to hear me bitch about charity some more? Dude, bitch away. I don't care. Okay. Well, here we go then. <laughs> so one of my friends was talking a while back uh, about how homeless people, well, not homeless people, but beggars are basically like karma salesmen. Like they're sell- selling you a product of you get to feel good about yourself and, you know, you give them however much money in exchange. I like thinking about it in that way where I don't see that as an effective use of my money i see that in the same camp as the stop and shop thing like giving money to a homeless person where it's like i'm not actually making a real change whereas i feel like if i donate money at the end of the year to a charity that i think is effective i can actually make somewhat of a change and you get this thing where i think people like they give money to a homeless person on the way home from work or whatever they give five ten dollars and then they just like allows them to let their amygdala shut up for the day so they can get away with doing whatever you know like whatever they want i'm probably being a little overly judgy here but i think that people allow themselves to do something that's like do a bad act that is much larger magnitude than the good act that they're doing by giving five dollars away do you think it allows them to compensate for other areas of their life that they they feel like they're lacking in i think for sure i can see that i selfishly i love to to help people like i don't i don't necessarily love to give cash to homeless people um but like if i see somebody within their car is broken down and especially if they need to have a push start to me this is the best situation because then i get to help somebody and i get some physical exercise and it, it, there's like there's a lot of dopamine or, or feel good chemicals involved in that and it's, it's like super selfish but i think everybody's intention is selfish when they help somebody whether they they realize it or not I don't have any problem with that. And to be clear, I don't have any problem with giving money at Stop and Shop or to a, a homeless person who's asking for money. I'm more criticizing there's a certain like group of people who I think maybe not very good people who get to tell themselves that they're a good person because they give out these like meaningless tokens of of goodness. I don't know. Right. They're buying some uh, some karma, putting it in the bank or something. Yeah, exactly. And when you're helping somebody like push start their car, that's also great. And I'm much more incentivized to like help somebody push start their car because when somebody's push, like if someone's trying to fix their car, they want you to help them help themselves. Yeah, like they're they're going forward, as opposed to them wanting you to help them without them having to do anything themselves. Yeah, it's like they're not trying to get you just to subsidize their lifestyle. Unless the guy you're helping push start is just like he, that's how he gets his car from, from A to B every day. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like that's how he moves his car is from helping people, getting people to push it. But uh, yeah, I see what you're saying. So fast forward to Dwight breaks out of the, breaks out of the box. He like rips out of it Hulk style. Yeah, which looks like a lot of fun, honestly. I've always wondered, like, if I was in a box, like, if I could just punch through it, it looks like a lot of fun. 
I love Daryl's look of what the hell are you doing? But at the same time, this isn't the weirdest thing I've seen Dwight do. <laughs> yeah, he's like, what the fuck? But also, I, I kind of expect it. And then we go to Michael trying... He's still talking to Oscar. He's trying to welch again. I think he's complaining that Oscar was using like unfair pressuring tactics or something. Yeah, and then Oscar's like, it says right here. And he's showing him the form. And he's, he's berating him a little bit for trying to donate to a charity. And then we go to Meredith reading her birthday card out loud. Michael, what a guy. So she's reading her things out loud. There's some other people's jokes that are getting like various levels of reaction. And they're all really nice. Yeah, they're good. They reference her being an accountant. None of them are offensive. No. You can tell Michael is really irritated. Things that other people have written are getting a good response. So then she reads Michael's and he's really upset that people don't like it. And then he goes through a list of like backup jokes that he had. Oh, God. Well, first of all, the first joke he laid on her, uh, I hope the only downsizing that happens to you is your age, I think is an awesome line in a different context. Like if that was your buddy's birthday card or something, that'd be hilarious because it is super relevant yeah. and offensive. Anyways, yeah, so he starts going through his other options, which just, it goes downhill really quickly. Eventually, Meredith ends up crying. And so then Michael, he realizes that, I don't understand how, but somehow people haven't been completely captivated and mesmerized by his amazing jokes he's got to turn it around yeah he's got to turn it around and so he talks about he's going to donate to oscars fund the full 25 dollars per mile writes a check so i don't know how these things actually work because i i think i did one of these when i was a kid but i haven't donated to one you pledge per mile and then do they come back after the person wrote it to get the checks is how i would assume that's what I would assume, too. Yeah, because like, otherwise, what's Michael doing? Is he just writing him like a blank check, or is he assuming he's walking a certain amount of miles? However it works, Michael writes him a check and says, don't cash it till Friday or whenever. So now we flash forward to Dwight is asking Ryan if he's in an alliance, and Ryan's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then we see Ryan and Toby talking, and Ryan mentions that it is actually his birthday. What a coincidence. Toby offers to, uh, to say something about it. Ryan's like, no. No, and you can already tell Ryan's just like, he doesn't want anything to do with this place. It's like, he's felt it out. He's not into it. And I don't blame him. You see the way the Meredith party went? I wouldn't want one just for myself. God, no. Okay, here's a question. Where do you look when people are singing happy birthday to you? Hmm. When they're singing it to me. Oh. You're in a room of 10 people and they're all singing happy birthday to you. Where, where do you look? What do you do with your hands? I think I'm going to stare at them, stare at them directly in their eyes. I'm, I'll probably pick a couple people and, and rotate between them to try and make them feel awkward. As awkward as I'm feeling. That's that's usually my tactic. I'm pretty good at, at holding eye contact. I feel like it's more awkward for me when I'm singing it. Oh, really? I don't feel awkward then because I can blend into the crowd of people singing. But when I'm the one that everyone is singing to, that's when I feel awkward. Yeah, you're the target. The year before last, we had a big 4th of July party with a lot of my roommates friends and i didn't know they were going to do this they have a cake out they're all singing happy birthday to me and it's like 25 people 15 of which i don't know it's not a situation that i enjoyed being in <laughs> i can't see you enjoying that i totally have this feeling of like where do i look and my solution is to just look at the cake i'm not sold on that i'm ready for better solution or better uh, solutions to be offered to me man and it's hard it's because it's it's only once a year so you don't get a lot of practice hmm I don't know, you should do just like make up a little dance, like what Creed does. But that's after the song. I don't know, you need to work on that. Let me know what you come up with. I'll uh, do some research, figure it out. Jim is talking to Pam now. He's like really giddy. He's all up in her space. Do you think he's acting inappropriately? 
Uh, yeah, I, yeah, for sure. I wouldn't do that in the office. I'm, I'm terrified of sexual harassment, first of all. But it's it's a flirty thing to do. I think if you're at like outside of work, it's completely cool. It's not something I would I would probably choose to do in an office. Why? What do you think? I could see myself if I was in the middle of a joke that I w- that was someone else was in on, and like it just came to fruition in a really funny way. I could see myself maybe getting carried away and acting like this. Yeah, I don't think it's unnatural. It's hard for me to say because I'm not participating in hilarious office hijinks. Yeah, that's a good point. Either way, he's talking to Pam, and then Roy walks in and gets really mad. And regardless of whether or not you think Jim's acting inappropriately, I think Roy has, like, a huge overreaction. Oh, shit, yeah. He's, like, yelling at Jim, you know, so that everyone in the office can hear it, which I think is, like, way more inappropriate than what Jim was doing. I agree. Yeah, definitely the most awkward part of the episode. (laughs) And then Jim just like panics he doesn't know what to say and then jim says he's in a an alliance with dwight and dwight denies it which is just perfect yeah he's frantically it's so awkward trying to see jim come up with something and then he has to talk about the alliance because he's trying to explain the flirt you know what they were doing and he's just not coming up with it in a good way i think he panicked and thought that he had to come up with an excuse but i think he could like very realistically be like whoa dude just calm down yeah we're just joking around or something I th- well, I think part of it is that because he's obviously into Pam, he, like, feels guilty, like, oh, yeah, I was trying to flirt with your girlfriend. Whereas if, like, if I was in this situation, and I'm assuming it's a girl who I'm not, like, flirting with, it's just, like, a female friend. Like, I wouldn't feel like I have to explain myself because I don't feel guilty, whereas, like, Jim might. Yeah, there's nothing to explain. Right. Yeah, but so for the second time, Dwight gets put in this position where he should be able to pick it apart, where he denies it and kind of makes it super awkward for Jim. Apparently, he still doesn't catch on because one of the best scenes in the office comes up shortly after. Well, before we get to that, so then Roy takes Pam away, and this again, I think we talked about this in the first episode, it's just, you don't see that much of their relationship, we just see 10 seconds of them interacting, I guess in their engaged roles, and it's such a toxic relationship. It's a, it's a very immature relationship, and I think they talk about meeting in high school, but yeah, they seem like high school sweethearts who just never grew out of a high school relationship. I think that's a good summary of their relationship. Alright, so you want to talk about the next scene? Sure, that's politics, baby. Cut to Dwight. At this point, you would expect him to like, to catch on to the to the office prank that Jim's messing with him, and he obviously doesn't because it cuts to him wearing a bleached blonde, which is obviously a wig because it, it's like way too big on his head. It's just hilarious. He's still oblivious. He has he thinks that he got the upper hand on Jim at this point, but it's it still just carries through and makes him just look like an idiot. Okay, I don't understand the wig. Why is he wearing it? Because that's what Jim and Pam were laughing about, because Jim convinced him that he needs to go, I think, spy on the other branches. To do that, he needs to disguise himself by by bleaching his hair blonde. Okay. So it's supposed to look like Dwight has bleached hair, but because it's so big, it's it's obviously a wig. Anything else about this episode? No, I think that's that wraps it up. It's really complicated. I think it's the first Office episode where there's a bunch of different plots going on, especially between side characters. There's a lot of character development, for sure. I didn't think there were that many good episodes in Season 1, but I think this is one of the better ones. Meredith has a lot of development, and Oscar has a lot of development, which weren't really in the first three episodes. Yeah. Angela comes out. Did Creed, did he have a line in this? Was Is that when he says, so you met the office bitch, Angela? That's it's later. way later. Yeah, we get more of uh, the Jim and Dwight dynamic. More Pam and Jim alone time. Roy the antagonist. So the office I first I had seen it before, but like I wasn't really interested. And then my girlfriend when I was like nineteen was really into it. A big selling point was her with her was the Jim Pam Roy triangle. Really? She thought that was like a, a really interesting subplot. I don't know if it's Americans or or just the human condition, but they like they like relationship drama. 
So are we ready to move on to the basketball game? Yeah, let's do it. So Mike walks into the office, and he's wearing, what is he wearing? I think he's just wearing a suit, but he has a bag. Oh, yeah, he has a bag with his gym clothes. Yeah, he comes in with his bag. He's looking at Jim, like, basically, are you ready to go? And Jim has his bag. Ryan has his bag. Dwight shows him his bag, and then he just turns away. <laughs> yeah, he's, like, so uninterested. <laughs> and we don't really know why yet. And then Dwight comes into his office, and Dwight wants to be on the basketball team. And now we find out that there's been some prior incident that I don't think is fully explained. You, I vouched for you in front of Todd Packer, man. Oh, that does sound familiar. So there has been some prior incident that isn't fully explained where Dwight came and played basketball with Todd Packer and Michael and really embarrassed him, which I could see happening, but we don't know exactly how he was embarrassed. Just being Dwight. So some people are going to need to come in on the weekend for some reason. Michael delegates making the weekend schedule to Dwight. And it's not really explained why they need to be in on the weekend. And something that's kind of interesting about the weekend schedule, and it's between whether the warehouse is going to come in or the office is going to come in. And within the office, before that, it's whether, like, it's who in the office is going to come in. And it's kind of weird because it seems like there'd be specific work that needs to get done on the weekend. Yeah, I don't know how it's interchangeable like that. Like, what one job needs to be done that can be done by anyone that for some reason some people need to come in on the weekend? Why are people, why are they paying people more during, when they're discussing downsizing? It's like you'd expect like, hey, everybody get your job done in less hours. Yeah, it'd be like, we're not coming in on Friday. Michael takes Ryan down to the warehouse. To admit the Rogers neighborhood? The way he says it, is that from something or? I don't know. I was thinking about that. Yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I think it's a Michael original. The spicy Michael original. Yeah, so much because, spice. Because uh, Daryl is Philbin, Figus, Regis, Ronald. Rogers okay, yeah something like that it's like yeah he, he walked us to the evolution he makes that really awkward joke with uh where he's like are you still getting it on the regular I can tell it's part, part of the, the job, job. <laughs> I love how he phrases things too he was a little high pitch I could tell it's part of the job he's got great delivery it doesn't uh detract from how cringy the the words are though doesn't compensate so then we see Pam talking on the phone about a broken toaster yeah oh she got for her it was like for a engagement shower yeah, she got it for her engagement shower over two years prior because... Three years. Yeah, because it had a two-year warranty that is expired. What's an engagement shower? Dude, I have no idea. I guess <laughs> where you, you get free shit because you're engaged. Yeah, that's... I mean, I've heard of wedding presents, obviously. Yeah. I didn't know you also got presents for your engagement shower. Yeah, I didn't I didn't realize that either. Dude, double down. I need to get married. Hurry up. Just say you're getting married. Get married. Yeah. Let's say we're getting married, Paul. Okay, and then we can have an we can do it. Well, I guess I'll find someone else for next year. But for this year, we can have an engagement shower. Then I'll have a different engagement shower next year. Yes, we're just gonna be rolling in the free shit. I think we need to make more friends though, so that you can tap into new people. Because otherwise, people are gonna catch catch Ooh, on to it. Good call. And how much? How many toasters do you need? We're gonna have to like start a flip system. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So, okay, so this is unrelated. Do you get somebody a present for their second wedding? I've never been in that situation. I have. My answer is no. You don't get a present for your second wedding. By second wedding, you mean they get married to somebody else? Yeah, they've been divorced and now they're getting married again. Ooh, probably not. In your lifetime, you get one present for getting married. I'm not getting you a second one. I guess it depends on who it is. If it's like a good friend, then yeah, I'd probably do it. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know that many people that get married, Paul, to be honest. I know. It's it's a dying breed. Do you have friends that get married? Yeah. Most of my friends aren't married. Like, looking at my friends who have been in relationships for more than four years, more of them are not married than are engaged slash married. 
Okay, so it sounds like you know a lot of long-term couples then. Do they have kids? Do I have friends who have kids? No. Were they more likely to have a dog? They're way more likely to have a dog. Lots of couples have dogs. I don't. I can't think of any friends who have kids. I don't think any of my friends have kids. Is that a sign of the times? Do you think that more people are choosing to have dogs than kids? It's definitely a sign of the times that people aren't getting married, but I don't know about the dogs versus kids. I don't know if I'm just noticing it because that's the situation that I'm in. Like, people would expect me and you to have kids by now because we've been together for so long and we're at the, I guess, the right age, mid-20s. I, okay, by the way, I don't think that's the right age, but... Neither do but I. Yes, I know that a lot of people do. This, but this is the time, Paul, when if you're in a long-term relationship, everybody will ask you when you're having kids. And they may have asked you last week, but they'll ask you again. It's, it's just the main so topic of So let me just tell you, I'm not in a long-term relationship, but I still get asked when I'm going to have kids. Jesus. Like get everybody. <laughs> I think part of it, probably, is a lot more women are working now. So like you and New both have jobs. Whereas maybe 50 years ago, New might not have a job. And so then that like frees you up to actually have kids. Yeah, and it's it's an expectation. It's like, what else are you going to do with your time? You know that as countries get more developed, people have fewer and fewer kids. Yeah, for sure. I don't I don't know all the mechanism, mechanisms behind it, but yeah, growth rates certainly slow down. I can't speak for all millennials, but for me, and I would assume for you, is if I'm going to have a kid, I want... It's like 10 years away because I want to be like really financially secure. Yeah, our, our whole thing is, first of all, it's tabled until we're 30. So we're not even going to talk about it until we're 30 years old, so... We still have like four years, but um, even then, it's like, yeah, my ideal, I would, fuck, dude, I don't want to be retired, but because they seem like so much work, and I want to retire early anyways, and it's it's certainly possible. I don't think I could wait until I was retired, because I'm probably going to be 60, 65. It's a little <laughs> dude, with medical technology, you could have a robot dick, you'll be good to go. But yeah, for you, it's possible. Yeah, so I mean, it's that's obviously a stretch, and if it were were to happen, it would probably have to happen before I was retired. But I'd at least like to have the option to where one of us doesn't have to work, which I mean, we do have now. I don't want to exercise it because I like money. Yeah, it's down the road, man. I like dogs. Dogs are awesome. Dogs are way better than kids. Yeah, I like when people have kids in the office. Ninety percent of what they talk about kids are complaints about how they're losing sleep, about how they don't have time to do shit, and maybe they they would make maybe they complain about things anyways, even with without kids. Yeah, I think that some people are just complainers, and like they're just gonna complain about whatever. Well, even if like a kid is half fun, half work, like they're still just gonna com- do nothing but complain because it's just in their nature to complain instead of to talk about how happy yeah, they are. Yeah, I can see a lot of people doing that. But even with, you know, I've been around kids and it, kids are little shits at, at some points of their lives, especially when they get to like preteen and like 14 years old is probably when, when males peak out to be super annoying. Dogs, I, I never got any of that. Like dogs are just like, they come out cute, they stay cute. And like, I mean, maybe they'll do something annoying, like when their puppy is like tear up a, a shoe or something, but it, it's still not that bad. Dogs are awesome. And also a dog is a good practice kid. So obviously I'm not in a long-term relationship, but if I was going to get married to someone, if you have a dog first, you get to see how they handle like sort of parenting situations or like maybe stressful situations. Nurturing situations. Yeah. It's like a good test kid to see how your partner would respond. Yeah. Because obviously dogs are are much easier, but you do have to take them poop. You got to take them pee. You got to feed them. You got to love them. They're going to test your patience at some point, especially when you're training them. So yeah, it is a good test. It's been super easy with me and New. Maybe we're lucky with the with the dog we got. No, I think yeah, I think you guys are probably just good dog owners. Most of the time, when I see people complain about their dogs, my conclusion is generally, well, it's your own fault. Like you're a bad dog owner. 
Yeah, like they're probably neglecting him, not training them correctly. Not training your dog correctly is something I see like, I, it's so much. I, don't know, I think people are really bad at training their dogs. And I, that's something I've been thinking about more recently about how I, I should be training because I've heard some sources um, training that are like so much more hardcore than what I do, like about especially about like establishing uh, establishing dominance and whatnot about as far as like not letting your dog look you in the face, not letting them into certain spaces, like be like have a lot of disciplinary control over them. And that's definitely not something I, I enact with not like she knows what's up if I if I need to discipline her, like mm. she'll do something, but I let her like crawl on me and lick me in my face and cuddle next to me. She sleeps on the bed, all that stuff. I, I definitely like whenever I'm having food, I give her some of my food. So it's like, I don't know if I've done that correctly or not. According to some people, I wouldn't have. I don't mind any of those things. The one thing that I'm looking for in a dog. Okay. I guess there's a couple things, but like the main thing is when you say no to the dog, the dog like stops. And when you call the dog, the dog comes. If you have like those two things down, I feel like you've done pretty well whereas i know a million people who have dogs and the dog doesn't come when you call it because it just doesn't give a fuck and and like they'll do something and like stop doing that and the dog just keeps doing it those are like the two big metrics on if you've trained your dog correctly yeah that's like basic obedience yeah which i see a lot of people fail at even though i think it should be very simple yeah that's like you know the first page of the book and then you know i mean there's other stuff like don't go to the bathroom in the house oh yeah don't shit on the floor (laughs) which i've seen people fail at raising their dogs to do are you kidding me you can't get this one simple thing pretty easy you just have to reward them i I feel like it's really easy to train a dog just entice them with treats or entice them with with discipline or i guess de-entice i don't know if that's a word I didn't think we even finished the marriage conversation before we got into kids and then dogs. <laughs> We're talking about the engagement shower and getting presents on second. Oh, but I hadn't finished on marriage yet. <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay, go ahead. I was saying, like, I have, I've totally been asked about kids. And then I also, also, I always get asked, like, if I'm dating anyone or if I'm getting married anytime soon. And I think that for, like, the older generation, so much of your worth as a person is based off of getting married. It's like the test that you're a successful Per individual is that like you found someone to get married to yeah it's like it, it's a milestone i don't know if that's like unique to my experiences or if that's just like a general agreement amongst old people but they value getting married so heavily whereas i think people our age don't are kind of disillusioned by marriage i don't think we buy into it as strongly yeah i agree and that's been my experience from older people as well um yeah the the next most popular question i get besides are you having kids is when are you getting married uh, i bet you get that all the time i get it all the time and it, yeah, it's almost kind of like the the next level up. It's kind of like people don't don't think that you made it to the next stage until you've you know gotten married, and you're still stuck in this kind of adolescent realm. No, it's totally a scam, dude. Marriage is the biggest scam of like the 20th century. People throwing you know ten thousand dollar weddings, thirty thousand dollar weddings, and then you have these rich people throwing Christ. like million dollar weddings. But I think ten thousand dollars is like the average cost for a wedding. And it's like such a scam and it is a 20th century scam because, you know, all the like the traditional stuff like white dresses and wedding cakes, that's like all new. That was all invented last century. That's not traditional. Like if you go back to the 1700s, marriages cost nothing, like $5. You went down to the church and you told, because the church was the people who kept the records. So you would go to the church and you say, oh, we're married now. And the church, you know, because the government didn't keep records as well as the church did because the church had so much wealth and you know the church would like write down in their book oh these two people are married and like that was a wedding it was last century i don't i don't know exactly i haven't looked into it how this was all marketed and came to be but weddings were totally invented 
and are like incredibly expensive now even though if you go back 200 years they weren't like that at all do you think it's tied with just expansion of disposable wealth and kind of status peacocking yeah it probably is i mean a bunch of stuff was has been invented like valentine's day which is you know like a hundred million dollar holiday holy shit yeah you know what else was a scam hallmark Hmm. of the 20th century is disneyland don't you talk shit about disneyland Dude, fuck that. I, I, hey, I like going to Disneyland, but I was talking to a coworker recently about she's saving up to, uh, to take her kids to Disneyland, and she talks about being broke a lot. And so I'm like, okay, well then, how much is this Disneyland trip gonna cost? And she's telling me it's gonna cost five thousand dollars to take her kids and her partner there for a weekend. That just sounds so fucking ridiculous. Like, dude, I go to Kauai with a thousand bucks. That's five trips to Kauai to Kauai. Yeah, and I go there for a week. Trip to Disneyland doesn't cost that much. I mean. You can make it cost that much for sure because there's a bunch of add-ons and you can get like in you can get to disneyland hotels but a disneyland trip like if i wanted to go to disney world in florida it'd be like a thousand bucks if i wanted to go with a girl for a weekend yeah just get like a, a cheaper hotel maybe not something right on the park eat your meals outside of the park and then so basically you're just paying for tickets and, and cheap lodging it could just be a difference on how people are budgeting i guess because just like yeah quite like you know i say it cost me a thousand bucks but some people that might be like a ten thousand dollar trip just depends on how what you where you want to go what you want to spend your money on you kind of touched on this There's, i have this pet peeve of people who complain that they don't have money and then also are expe- buying expensive shit that they don't need oh my god i have this one friend who all he does is complain about how he doesn't have any money and he spends so much money on useless crap like I mean, he's spending, like, hundreds of dollars a month, like, $500 a month on, like, the most useless, frivolous crap. It's, it's the kind of stuff that Michael would buy. Like, I look at the stuff he buys, and that's honestly the feeling I get. Like, this is stuff that no one ever, ever needs. Why are you buying it? And you're also complaining about never having any money. I'll never understand it. Like, I, yeah, I don't get how people can say they're broke. Like, because I work with, with people who, they all make good salaries. And it's like, I know what life costs. Like, I don't know what a kid costs, but I can imagine, you know, it shouldn't probably cost more than an adult human being. I mean, you have diapers and I, I don't know. But the point being is I, I just, I don't get where people spend their money. I feel like the problem is people see that they have money and they figure out ways how to oh spend it. Oh my God. So this is, when I say I have $500 to spend on a trip that I'm taking, what mm-hmm. I mean is I have, like, I've looked at my bank account and I've budgeted away $500 to take this trip. Yes. Because I assume what you mean would mean also if you said that. Yeah, for sure. And I've definitely met some poorer people. And when they say I have $500 to take this trip, what they mean is there's $500 in this, their bank account. <laughs> I know. And then dude, <laughs> it's the worse because there was this one girl. And when she said... I had $500 to take this trip. Like, that's what I heard, right, is that I budgeted away $500. Mm-hmm. What she meant was there was $500 difference between how much money she owed on her credit card and her credit card limit. Oh, nice. So she just adds that into her net worth? People well, live in a oh, fantasy land. Fuck. It's really sad, man. I So I had this friend, and the way he managed money was incomprehensible to me. He had this car that he had had for two years. I can't even understand how this happens. He still owed more money on the car than the car's blue book value after he'd owned it for two years and been making payments the entire time. I feel like I that happened to somebody I talked to recently who totaled their car. But yeah, I think that's that's a result of buying a brand new car and then having it depreciate this wasn't like a brand crazy. New car. He bought a used car. Oh. And he was 
so financially illiterate that somehow the deal he worked out was so bad that he had been making payments for two years and he still owed more than the look at the car. I, I don't know how that one works. I, dude, it's, and then you hear him try to explain it to you. I'm like, wait, what? How did that happen? It's just unintelligible what he's saying. I don't understand any of it. And then also he bought this TV. I'm like, oh, how much does the TV cost? And he says to me, it was only $38 a month. Well, like, but how much did it cost? And he's like, what? I pay $38 a month. And he's like, didn't know how much it actually cost. Jeez. It's insane. It's an epidemic, man. You're preaching to the choir. Sorry, sorry to just rant at you. No, I don't, I don't care. I like that stuff. Makes me feel like I'm not alone, Paul. <laughs> There's actually, uh, if you're into finance at all, and from like the way you talk about it, you sound pretty cheap like me. To I don't know a better word for it, but you just don't like to spend your money on stupid shit. Frugal. There's a um, there's a niche in the financial world and it's concept of called mustachianism. Have you heard about it? <laughs> no, I haven't heard this. It's pretty funny. So the website itself sounds retarded, like you never want to visit it. But it's, it was started by this guy called uh, Mr. Money Mustache, and his his claim to fame or, or why he started it was he he worked in the IT field, I think in, in software engineering. But he made like a good salary, you know, like a low six figure salary, and he just he invested like a lot of his income because he didn't blow his money on stupid shit as he made more money and he ended up retiring at 30 and that's how it started but he has he has a lot of cool um articles about things that i think you'd be interested in based on hearing you talk about it so it might be something worth your while i'm gonna take a note you said mustachian uh well the co- <laughs> it's been coined his like philosophy is called mustachianism but the actual blog is called mr money mustache like the thing that's on your face a mustache <laughs> yeah okay but it's supposed to be, it's supposed to sound like my stash, right? It's a play on words. Yes. Yeah. Like a stash of cash kind of thing. Yeah. It's kind of funny because like, obviously he started, he didn't think it would grow to be like huge, but now he has like a cult like following. A lot of good information on there. If you're interested in retiring early or just interested in talking about money and being, being frugal and, and spending on money on shit that makes you happy rather than just consumerism. Yeah. I'll, I'll look into it. So Michael is talking to the warehouse guys. He's talking about how good he is. He says, you know, let's do it at one fifteen or something or one. Daryl says, we can't do it at one. We got a shipment. Busy time. Which I don't think is a bad joke, but it gets really poor reception. Where he says, oh, I'm glad sometimes it's a busy time because every time I come down here, it doesn't seem like it. That's not too far-fetched. But I could see there's this effect where when all you hear is bad Michael jokes all the time, even the okay ones would get a little tiresome. And then Michael goes him in, he does a chicken dance. And so Daryl relents. He's going to work around the game to get the shipment out, apparently. And then we cut to Kevin, who is talking about he doesn't want to work on Saturday because he's in a Steve Miller cover band. This could be a different band. I'm not that familiar with Steve Miller because I, I remember some of the songs he did as in his band, I think, Death Tell Us, Tell Death to Us Rock or whatever. I'm not very familiar either. I mean, I know Steve Miller, right? They did the uh, the Joker. Yeah. The yeah. famous one. Um, yes. But I thought was Scrantonicity a police cover band? Oh yeah, Scrantonicity. Duh. I don't know. They did. I know they did that song. I think like "Message in a Bottle," right? I'm not sure. It's music I'm not very familiar with. Yeah, same here. And then Michael calls Todd Packer, and he's talking about trying to get Packer to come to the game. Deleted scene. Okay. And he's trying to get this Packer is like different, so they change his character later. I guess they don't even change him since this is a deleted scene. They like don't have to stick to it. Like it's a different voice. Yes, it is a different voice. But also this packer doesn't work for the company. This is somebody who does like pickup games that Michael is like, hey, you're coming over, right? And the guy is like completely, this guy, this Todd Packer isn't a big Michael fan. And he's like, no, I'm not not coming to your stupid game. So now Dwight is eating Angela's candy. Did you see that? 
No. Okay. It's a Dwight-Angela interaction, but they don't appear to be in a relationship from this scene. And then, I think this is like all deleted right in a row. Pam is complaining to the camera that Roy bought two wave runners for $7,000. I'm assuming these are jet skis and I looked it up. Oh, you know what? She doesn't say they're $7,000. She said wave runners and then I looked it up and two wave runners is $7,000. They're definitely mentioned later, later in the series. Yes, and I think they bring it up briefly here. Pam's saying Roy doesn't want to go to, or doesn't want to work on Saturday because he's going to he wants to take the jet skis out. And Pam also complains here she's like we were going to spend $7,000 on the wedding or something, but then Roy bought two jet skis for us. <laughs> Although I never get to use mine cuz his brother's using it usually uh, or something. It's such a great relationship that they have. Yeah, it's beautiful. So now this is definitely main episode. Michael is assembling the dream team, the Lakers version two. So he's trying to get Stanley, obviously. Yeah, of course. And Ryan, Jim, and Phyllis wants to play. Michael is uninterested. Dwight wants to play. Michael's still mad at him about something. And then Oscar volunteers. Michael, he refuses him. He welcomes his talents come baseball or, or boxing. God, Michael... He's just a little racist. Yeah, he, he hits on a few stereotypes there in just a couple minutes. Oscar is obviously a more fit individual than Stanley. I mean, the dude's old. Like, if I was going to use any assumption, it would be based on his age. Like, okay, this guy's not going to move around too good. Do people from your work, you probably don't have a big enough office, get together for, like, basketball or something? Uh, actually, we we have a basketball hoop in the warehouse. Say oh! What? And last summer, I played. I can only get like a couple people out there to play horse with me, and that's about it. But people in my office aren't super fit. So why? What about you? I well, I think there are some people who go play basketball. I am not one of them. I don't really like basketball. I'm not in love with it, but I like to just kind of be out, you know, out and about rather than in the office. It's kind of a nice break. Yeah, it, well, it's not like a break. It's like after work. Oh, okay. I got you. I've tried to do that because like people know I, I played tennis for a bit and like I kept playing after you left because you're the one who kind of got me into it. And uh, I'd, people would like see me in my tennis outfit after work because I'd like get dressed at work. People wanted to play with me, but nobody ever showed up. Yeah, dude, that is something that irritates me just about people is the ratio of people who are like, oh, yeah, we should totally do that versus the amount of people who like will actually do a thing is 10 to 1. Yeah, flakiness is an epidemic. Oh, my God. I won't even get in on that tangent. Go ahead. It sounds like you need a good therapy session no, today, dude. Paul. No, Lay it out. We're in too deep already with the charity and the kids <laughs> and the marriage. I'll save that for another time. Uh, Dwight, he actually, I think he gives Dwight the chance because Dwight has a little audition there. He shoots his like pencil cup in the garbage, almost makes it. Good enough. He gets gets him on the team. Michael reassigns the weekend scheduling to Jim because the power has gone to Dwight's head. Yeah, Dwight tried to abuse it. He tried to threaten Michael with it, and it just it didn't work out for him. And then there's a nice little montage that I really enjoy of Kevin training the Kleenex box, and Oscar throws something in the garbage can, and then Stanley misses the garbage can that's like two feet away from him. I thought the montage you're referencing is, is Michael dunking it. That's nice, too. Right, he dunks it, and then the other person, I think Sea Monster, raises the hoop to like yeah, 10 feet. Yeah, rest in peace. Sea Monster is now at the bottom of the ocean, the actor. I think the beatus got him. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, it does. Anyways. Michael's asking Pam to be his cheerleader. And then Jim volunteers. Nice. It's a nice and daring Jim moment. I think Jim's funny sometimes. And then uh, Phyllis does also volunteer to be a cheerleader. But Michael um, has kind of a knee-jerk reaction. That's pretty offensive. Does he make voices displeasure with like a grunt or something? Yeah, he's like, ew, no, that's worse than you playing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And... <laughs> 
it's it's like so offensive and see i'm telling you phyllis just gets beat down man yeah she doesn't deserve it at this point poor phyllis no but then he's uh, he lets phyllis be on the team because he's trying to like backpedal in a moment of self-awareness he realizes like how offensive it was so he starts to backpedal lets her on the team i don't think that they thought the office was on the second floor at this point because daryl comes in for a tea bag which mm-hmm. seems like a really long walk if the warehouse is on the first floor and the office is on the second floor like i assume at this point they were thinking they were both ground level well it it shows michael and ryan early in the episode walking down to the office or to the warehouse i mean you're right so no i guess he just walked all the way upstairs you're right to get a tea bag. Why, he has yeah. an office in the warehouse why doesn't he just keep some tea bags in there michael's trash talking him about the game daryl's like all right you want to make it interesting and loser buys dinner and michael says no will loser comes in to work on saturday and then daryl's not into it michael's taunting him playing chicken again making chicken sounds again and daryl again lets michael win it's like all right fine you're on Angela's looking for the first aid kit in case, you know, someone gets hurt during the game. Dwight has taken it, to which Angela's like, you're not the safety officer. So I think this is still before they thought Angela and Dwight were going to be in a relationship. But it does kind of establish Angela as having maybe a similar personality to Dwight. Like, they're both interested in being safety officer. Yeah, I think it definitely foreshadows there's some overlap in their, their interests. Now, Jim obviously wants to impress Pam at the basketball game. Oh, God, annoys me. Is this where they're getting ready to, to play? No, this is, they're at the office, Pam's at the reception desk, and Jim is sitting at the chair next to her. She's talking about, Roy wants to take the jet skis out this weekend, and Jim's like, well, once we win and he's in working, you can come to the mall with me instead. Then we go to the basketball game, and Dwight's wearing his nice little face mask. Yeah, what the hell is that about? I thought that's, if you have like a broken nose or something. He's got that sweet face mask, Hannibal Lecter style a little bit, and then he has this awesome anime shirt on, which, do you know what it's from? No, I didn't even take notice. Yeah, it's like it has a anime female character with like a sword on it and rainbow lettering. So yeah, the face mask, you were right. It is to, when you get a broken nose, it's to protect it so you can play with a broken nose. Maybe Dwight has a broken nose we don't know about. He's just cautious. No, I definitely don't recognize what that's from that Dwight's wearing. It's, uh, yeah, just generic anime. What's, uh, what's next? Uh, I think it's the game. They start stretching out. Yeah, they're stretching. Ryan stretched before they came because, you know. He's ready. Angelus makes fun of Dwight's face mask real quick, and then they start playing. I don't have very many notes on the game. Is there anything you want to say about it? Well, it's surprisingly competitive, I think. Uh, it's kind of back and forth. Um, Pam's looks to Jim just fucking annoy the shit out of me. Uh, like when Jim's like trying to impress her, and he looks back, and he does this like little smirk to her. And then she like looks him up and down. She's like really wowed by it. I don't know why it annoys me. Maybe it's because her fiancé is right there or whatever. But uh, I don't know. It, just, it seemed gross to me. It didn't get that reaction out of me. I notice it every time I watch it, so it's like it's ingrained. So like I, I look for it now. Michael has some sweet shots that he usually hits. He's having an off day. Um, oh my god, dude! This I've played a lot of sports with a lot of guys, and this applies in video games too. When you're playing video games, all the time you'll hear people say like, "Oh man, I always get that. I can't believe I messed it up." It's one of those things that there's no point in even saying because even if it's true, like even if you normally do that, like no one's going to believe you. Yeah, and nobody cares. And I, I've been guilty of this too. When I was younger and I used to skate, uh, I would like, when I was hanging out with, with people who would skate that are a lot better than me, I'd always attempt tricks that I could attempt well and it looked like I knew what I was doing, but I could like almost never land it. I don't know if you skated, but there's a trick called a three flip. It's a like a 360. Yeah, I skateboarded a little. Yeah, there's a trick called a, a three flip or a tray flip or it's a 360 yeah, kick flip. Is what we called it. 
and I could I could spin it really good, but I could almost never stick the landing. And if I did, it just it was sloppy. It didn't look good. But if I was around like people who are good at skating, and I try and impress them, I'd I'd always flip that, and I'd be like, oh, I usually get it. <laughs> try and save some face. So I understand the sentiment and the intention with it. But yeah, when you grow up, you realize that doesn't work. Nobody respects you for it. I could never do anything skateboarding. I, I could never even kickflip. I sucked. It's hard, man. My my signature move is a varial flip. It's like a tray flip, but cut in half. So it's just a 180 kickflip. Still f- pretty cool. Flip tricks, I just I never got the hang of it. And none of my friends, I had some friends that skateboarded, but none of them were like good. Like I was the best one. I sucked, but none of my friends could do it better than me. So like I didn't have those, like I didn't have a group of guys pushing me to get better or that could coach me into getting better. Oh yeah, that's super important. Just to have the competitive drive because like all my friends were better than me. So like all aiming was was pretty much it. I could handstand occasionally. So I couldn't flip. So then I did this like different path. Ooh, the handstand doesn't require a kick fl- like a flip, like a kick. It does goes. not. And so I could do that. And and that's kind of like a, a different path of tricks too, because you're you're going for like the novel weird tricks. Like that's in the same category as like trying to do a pogo stick or weird stuff like that, which is cool in its own right. Because a lot of people go down the flip route. I forget what it was called. Where the board is upside down and you're balancing it on the edge and you have like one foot on your truck and the other foot's underneath the board. Yeah, isn't that a pogo stick? Pogo stick is with it vertically, right? This is the board is slanted. I know you're talking about. I can't think of it right now. Back to the game. Another note I have actually at the very beginning is Roy makes the comment to Pam where he's like, uh, tip it my way or you're sleeping in the car, which is a joke, obviously. Then Pam, I don't know if this is supposed to be her like being mad at Roy, so she's getting back at him, or if she's just like not very physically coordinated and it's just random, but she tips it up and it goes to the offices team. Yeah, it goes to Michael. How do you read that? I can see it going either way because she does not seem like she has any athletic ability. And also Roy's kind of a dick and she's probably upset about the toaster thing. So it, it's building up. So I'm going to lean towards she gave it to Michael a little bit. I'm going to lead in towards it was unintentional, but I could definitely see it either way. I have one more note, which is Jim starts fouling Roy. And it's like, it's so, I really don't like this. I think there's like three fouls that it shows Jim fouling Roy. And the first couple are like reasonable mistakes. And then I think the last one is technical foul. I, I couldn't read into that enough because I'm not like a huge fan of basketball, so I don't really know the rule set. So I couldn't tell if that was just Jim being competitive or if he was starting to actually foul him. I mean, I'm not, I could be saying this wrong, but I played a lot of basketball in high school and a technical foul is when you, it's a physical assault on another person instead of you just trying to play the game and you get a little too rough. And so I would say the last one is like definitely a technical foul where there's, there's like a little bit of an elbowing, right? Yeah. It's like, so it's like a elbow shove and it's so far beyond the boundary of like what you might just accidentally get carried away and do. And I think it's well into, he's just trying to physically intimidate Roy. Sure. And then Roy gets mad. And I think the way I read this is that you're supposed to get upset at Roy at getting upset at Jim, I think. I don't know. I could be wrong about that. But the way that I read that is like, wow, Jim's getting like really out of control playing this game. Like, way too worked up. Yeah, I kind of got like, I mean, I just didn't like the whole interaction between him and Pam. So I'm already kind of against him. And yeah, it seemed more like a dick move on Jim's part. Some retaliation for the uh, intimidation in the last episode, perhaps. So then... Michael gets fouled. Oh, while they were ahead, which he conveniently checked right before. Oh, were we ahead? Yeah. Michael's trying to end the game, and no one's having it, right? Everyone's like, what are you talking about? We're ending the game. Like the three big maintenance guys. It's Roy, it's Daryl, and it's Lonnie. And they're all just like towering over him and just punk him into basically saying, dogs, you know? Yeah, so yeah, he's trying to backtrack. He ends up just giving up, giving in to him. So now he he says the office has to come in and work on on the weekend cut to the office and he kind of has a little redeeming moment where he's like you know what screw him 
nobody's coming in this weekend. But then he kills it because he says, it's not like coming in one day will prevent us from getting downsized anyways. I'm surprised that you see it as a redeeming moment, though. I see it as like him doubling down on being unlikable. So the way that I see this is he manages to piss off both groups because he's trying to screw the warehouse by making them come in, even though they didn't like lose the game outright. And then he backpedals and he's going to make the office come in. And then the office is pissed off because they have to come in even though they didn't lose the game. And then he just like backpedals again. And I just see it as like Michael just kind of floundering trying to get everyone to like him. So I see it as like a double backpedal. Yeah, but I'm I'm saying he's redeeming himself based on the office's reaction. So like when he says, all right, nobody's coming in, you can see Phyllis and, and Dwight kind of perk up. I don't know if there's clapping or something, but it just it seemed like he pleased them for once. But then he, he stole the thunder away once again by mentioning downsizing. And then we see Kevin playing uh, playing change, I guess. Killing with, it. Yeah, Ryan and Jim, and he's just training. I'm not sure. I don't think it's clear if they're like free throws or three-pointers, but he's training them. Slaying it. And then uh, cuts to, is it the final scene where uh, Roy comes in and he's like kind of limping a little bit and he's like kind of applauding Jim on his performance. Larry Legend. I think it's here. I think there's like kind of some inappropriate PDA between him and Roy making out a little in the middle of the office or am I thinking of a different scene I can't remember if they're making out in the middle of the office but I know so like Jim is kind of feeling adored because Pam was like you know agreeing with Roy like yeah he's pretty impressive huh and then as they're leaving Pam's like let's get you into a tub and then Roy's like no let's get you into a tub which obviously is devastating for Jim but I don't have a problem with that from a PDA perspective because it's close but they say it after they've left the office like they're outside the door to the office yeah i'm fine with that but um i think they are like before that making out in the middle of the office for a little bit which spicy i don't remember that i could be thinking of a different scene well the office is full of pda it is completely superfluous to a functioning office environment any more notes on this episode no ready to move on to hot girl then yeah let's do it Sorry, I want to preface this a little bit, because this episode was actually pretty boring to me. I kind of just want to zip through it. How do you feel? Do you have a lot to say? No, that's fine. Um, this episode is probably one of the fewest I've ever... Like, if you look at how many times I've watched all the Office episodes, this one is probably one of the fewest times I've watched it. Same here. I Yeah, I don't think it's particularly interesting. And the whole premise is kind of weird. Like, why is this lady coming in to sell purses? Um, yeah, so first, yeah, let's just freeform this episode. Let's not even do a narrative. So, yeah, the whole <laughs> a door-to-door purse saleswoman. What the fuck? That seems like such a, a stupid business model. Maybe I, maybe it's different on the East Coast? No. no um, maybe it's a different time period? The business model's weird. I, I guess I get why Michael wants to let her in because she's hot. Like, at first he's like, no, 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 no. We don't want to sell this person here. And then he, he sees that it's like this young, attractive girl. And he's like, oh, yeah, bring her in. Yeah, let her sell her purses to our office staff during business hours yeah it's 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 silly yeah it makes no sense from either perspective because so for the office all it's going to do is distract you know the office workers and for her if she there's only like 13 people who work here if she sells a purse to every single one that's like an entire day for 13 sales i don't work in the purse industry but if a purse is 50 dollars and you bought it for 25 you know you're making 25 dollars times 13 you make like 425 dollars a day which i guess is good but i don't think it's that's like best case. Yeah, that's best case scenario. Yeah, I don't get it. Yeah, weird business model, but hats off to her. She gets in. She sells a few purses. Yeah, I mean, it's selfish. Michael just does it. It just feeds into his character. It's like, hey, here's an attractive girl. Here's an opportunity for me. Interrupt all other business functions so that I can I can get it in. And Jim is 
teasing uh one of the subplots is jim's teasing dwight into asking her out yeah and gets him to buy a purse my sort of feeling on pranks is that like a harmless prank is fine but when you're actually costing somebody someone else that like is when a prank transcends into what i think is not okay so you know he's like get it he's goading dwight into buying a purse which i don't know let's say it's 50 dollars. i don't know how much these types of purses would cost but i feel like that's kind of mean to get someone to waste money like that yeah it's also for me it's more an issue of just believability so i like his pranks because it's like i can see some kind of i don't know idiot buying into a lot of the stuff he does you know it's obviously a little far-fetched but just buying a purse is just like over the top i just i can't see him convincing dwight to get a, a purse because it's like a, a mail a smaller mail briefcase or whatever i think this is a deleted scene which i really like you know when michael's taking katie around the tour he's like come on and she's like oh i can't I need to watch my purses and ryan and michael's like ryan you watch them so there's a deleted scene where ryan sells one of the purses to which i think is just great because ryan isn't really established as like like a skeeve at this point yeah he's all background this deleted scene i think is really fits with this character in later seasons where like he's stealing this purse from this lady that they're watching that he's watching the purses oh, from to steal. really yeah to sell well he's selling it to kelly yeah does he pocket the money yeah he just pockets it oh wow yeah that's very creed-esque well it's totally ryan-esque too i think uh, yeah yeah for sure his developed cat character it's uh really similar to when dwight's trying to buy the mallard back when he's spying on jim that even though it's kelly's and he like sells it and then just pockets the money even though it's kind of yeah easy. and he's like oh by the way you owe me two bucks for gas or something fits in perfectly with this character here where he's selling the girl's purse while she's in the other room so i guess that's that's just organic ryan the office didn't make him that ryan it's just how he is origin story yeah so another big item on there that michael's trying to impress the girl with is the espresso machine the incentive prize which is a little silly like just give me the cash i don't want a thousand dollar espresso machine personally well this is like so michael Jan says that they have a thousand dollar incentive and Michael immediately she doesn't even say like you buy something Michael Michael's mind just immediately jumps to oh do I get to pick the prize it's that and it's also I think can he win the prize also jumps up to his mind which again when they're doing employee of the month in season seven he's like well I think I should win <laughs> yeah so they get the espresso machine which I agree I would rather just have a thousand dollars than an espresso machine in a classic Michael moment he opens it to impress the girl which is like this double whammy of so stupid he like can't think ahead 10 minutes because like what are you going to do now because that was supposed to be the incentive and also it strikes that on it's just unimpressive like why would that impress her it's an espresso michael doesn't doesn't understand women paul poor guy and then well same with dwight dwight trying to impress her throughout the episode i love the interaction between dwight and michael when michael's like i'm giving her a ride home and dwight's like promise me it's just a ride home <laughs> i can't promise that you can or you won't mm-hmm. do, do you love, love her, her? <laughs> it's too early to tell <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah that was great yeah yeah what else goes on besides that? i feel like when i watched the deleted scenes i remember michael being really inappropriate was there any juiciness in there there's one moment at the beginning i don't think this is deleted so first michael is he says to katie in front of pam like oh you're the new pam pam 6.0 you know like improved and better which is like really mean to pam and then later kevin says to pam like are you mad katie's here she's like no why would i be mad and kevin's like she's more attractive than you i think those are both main episode i can't think of one of the deleted scenes that's really inappropriate so the office throughout the series is ch- like changes its story about how big dunder mifflin is all the time um and when michael is walking katie around he says the branch sold a million dollars last year is strikes me as very small 
Yeah, it's super small because they have, I forget how many people, like 14, 15 people. Yeah, it's tiny. So I was manager at GameStop. I don't know if I've told you this before. I don't think so. Um, You know the GameStop and the Eureka Mall? Yeah. Its yearly revenue was like $4 million. Nice. So I hear... That's actually surprising to me for a little little mall shop like that. It was surprising to me too. It made a lot of money. You know how the Indian Casino would give like all the people who were at least like a fourth Indian a check every quarter or something or every year yeah when i was there it was like a twelve hundred dollar check and we had well i don't know because i wasn't there all the time obviously but just that i saw like five or six of the of those people who got the indian checks came in and spent like 500 plus dollars damn they got the twelve hundred dollars and it's like let's go what we were saying earlier about some people the amount of money they have to spend is equal to the amount of money in their bank account yeah so they get you know they get some money and it's like all right Got to get that bank account down to zero. Yeah, it's like a goal. And then also, it's a humble county, so you have a bunch of people who have a lot of money that they can't spend on nice things like cars because, you know, it'll attract attention from the IRS. Sure. And so instead they buy $300 game systems. Yeah, or they go to the casino, which is a really, it's like an expensive way to launder money. Money laundering is actually like um, an area that's really interesting to me. I love money laundering. Yeah, it's it's cool the concept of it. Um, have you seen Ozark? It's all about that. It's Jason with, Bateman uh, and yeah, Jason Bateman. I'll check it out. Money laundering is very fascinating to me. So yeah, I'll check that out. Ozark. I'm gonna make a note. Yeah, seems like it'd be right up your alley. I also like uh, Jason Bateman. So yeah, cool. Good actor. Oh, Roy tells Jim to date the purse girl at one point, and you know Jim kind of like blows it off. Um, he's like. Uh, oh, I'm I'm into milfs or whatever. He says I'm into moms. I think actually. Yeah, soccer moms, NASCAR moms, any kind of mom really. And then Roy's like, I would totally date her if I wasn't dating Pam, which really offends Pam. What an idiot. The show is trying to paint Jim as the like protagonist, I think, as he's trying to like break up Pam and Roy, and so it's trying to show like how dysfunctional Pam and Roy's relationship is because we're supposed to root for it to get broken up. Yes. But I can't. I can't root for Jim to break up their relationship. Yeah, I mean, I, I dislike their relationship, and I feel like it should be ended. I almost blame Pam, because I feel like she is the mature one in the relationship. She realizes how bad it is. Roy is kind of just like this big dummy, the way I see him. He like he works at the warehouse, you know, and in some episodes, he seems like, like a good guy. He jokes around or whatever. Obviously not good in the relationship, and uh, and Pam realizes that's terrible, but she chooses to stay in it, yeah. because she doesn't have the courage to end it, kind of, which is a recurring theme in her life. She doesn't have the courage to, to make these new choices in her life that'll take her down an unknown path or to stick up for herself so i put that all on pam totally agree with what you said my feeling on jim breaking up the relationship like i think that that's wrong because because there's like this selfish intention that's coupled with it of he wants to be dating pam it's not like he's just doing it to for the good goodness of pam you know oh yeah he doesn't care about that he's he he wants to be roy like he wants he wants to like be that replacement yeah Oh, they say here in this episode that Jim was in junior high 10 years ago. Oh, that was the deleted scene, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they were talking about like maybe a song Michael mentioned. Yeah, so that's like one of the first times you can actually piece together their age. So they would be like 22. Yeah, like 22 to 24, somewhere in there, which that makes sense, I suppose. I didn't have any other notes on the episode, did you? Ryan helps Michael clean out his car at one point. Yeah, what flavor is it? Blue. Blue is not a flavor. Blue Blast. (laughs) Oh, Blue Blast. Okay, keep that. And it reminds me of this, there's a uh, similar thing, and it reminds me of when they meet in the car for the whistleblower, and Kelly's like... Oh, with Kelly. Oh, no, no, this is a different time. This is when he's showing her a fake receipt for a wedding dress or something. She's like, how many number nines did you order? (laughs) 
yeah, yeah. Oh no, it was the receipt for uh, that uh, laptop case because he regifted it to her. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. You're right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and Ryan says here, like, how many fish, fish, uh, filet of fish did you eat? And then my final note is, oh, we still see some unnamed workers in this episode, but my, that's not my final note. My final note is, then Jim asks Katie out. And I really dislike Pam here because she's, like, mad. She's, like, a little petty and vengeful that Jim asked somebody else out. And I think that's such an unfair feeling for her. Yeah, it's super selfish because it's, like, what? She gets to be in a relationship and and have kind of Jim be this orbiter while he can't, you know, go off and do his own thing. Yeah, she's, like, stringing him along but also demanding his monogamous affection. (laughs) Yeah, pretty gross. But yeah, those are all my notes. Yeah, that's all I had on on the purse chick. Yeah, it's, I think the episode is called The Hot Girl. Yeah, called Hot Girl. It's a weird episode. I think it's like the first season and they didn't they needed one more episode to fill out the first season and they didn't really have any good ideas. Yeah, that was not a good ending ending note. <laughs>